the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. Welcome to the Four Horsemen podcast. I'm Chris Estep. I'm a guest here tonight, joined by uh, Adam Black and Dennis Thurman and Ben Kerfman, the usual cohorts here. And so tonight, guys, what I wanted to talk about um, was kind of a recent, well, we could almost say it was a trend now because of it's happened twice here in the last couple of weeks, of well-known uh, Christian authors and, and now to, in the past couple of days, a worship leader who have seemingly renounced their faith. Uh, the first was Josh Harris. Josh Harris is well-known uh, from his early age, you know, from around 18 or 19, he wrote a book called uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which challenged the typical dating scene that we see amongst young people and incorporated a more uh, courtship type mentality. He followed that up with a book a few years later called Boy Meets Girl, uh, which was after he had went through the courtship process and then got married, he realized that maybe some of the things that he had said before maybe we're a little too extreme. So he kind of tried to finesse it a little bit and explain more of what his perspective was. Um, Ended up pastoring Covenant Life Church there in Maryland. Um, uh, There alongside of CJ Mahaney was a pastor of a very large mega church, uh, started the the, uh, New Attitude Conference, was a very well-known Christian speaker, author, wrote several other books. Um, So about three or four weeks ago, he posted um, on his uh, Instagram feed. And this was after he had resigned his church a few years ago to pursue more uh, education. And at the beginning of that, it was said that he was doing that to continue in ministry. Uh, but along the time that he's been there, it's kind of moved from ministry to more of a, a um, public media relations type focus of what he's doing. Uh, but he posted on his Instagram feed a picture of him and his wife and said that they were separating and said that they've made the decision they're going to continue their life together as friends and he said, in recent years, some significant changes have taken place in, in place in both of us. Um, talked about how much they still love each other. They're going to start this unique story of their lives together, asking for your prayers and all this. And that was kind of where it was left. You know, in the, in the days that followed, you had a numerous amounts of people that commented on that. Some were, were praising them and encouraging them, you know, in, in this new decision that they made, which was a whole other thing we could talk about in the fact of, of, of that kind of decision and, and the fact that that's becoming more commonplace in what we see in our culture. But he followed that up a few days later uh, with another post uh, where he thanked people for the statements that they had made. And he realized, and I'm going to read verbatim some of what he said. He said, I'm learning that no group has the market cornered on grace. This week I've received grace from Christians, atheists, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, straight people, LGBTQ people, and everyone in between. Of course, there have also been strong words of rebuke from religious people. While not always pleasant, I know they're seeking to love me. Um, He goes on to say, The information that was left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regards to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Later on in that, he says, Martin Luther has said that the entire life of believers should be of repentance. There's beauty in that sentiment regarding 
regardless of your view of God. I have lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting to name a few. But specifically, I want to add to this list now to the LGBTQ plus community. I want to say I'm sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you in your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. Uh, To my Christian friends, I'm grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return calls. I can't join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And so then now, just over the past weekend, uh, a guy who was one of the worship leaders at Hillsong in Australia, uh, one of the guys who was you know, one of their biggest songwriters and worship leaders there uh, posted the same thing on similar statement on his Instagram, which he has now since totally erased his Instagram. The account is still there, but he's actually deleted all the posts. But what he posted is, I am genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. He goes on to say some of the questions that he's asking is, how many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet, yet they can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me, end quote. And he goes on. So my question, I guess, is is multifaceted. And, and as we talk about this, you know, is, you know, maybe one is, is this a true loss of faith, you know, or not? But secondly, I think the biggest reason that we should talk about it is not, you know, to be gossipy or anything like that, but to ask the question is how do we help the people in our church or Christians that we may know, how do we help them to respond to a situation like this? Uh, so when somebody who has been a well-known Christian leader all of a sudden says, I don't believe this anymore, I'm not a Christian, how do we help our people approach that subject? Chris, one thing I would say about that is that some of those uh, things that the Hillsong guy was was sharing are are true in that um, helping our people deal with those so-called contradictions that are in Scripture and, and other things like that, and those other issues are are issues that are out there simmering, and if we pretend that they're not there, we're not helping equip our people. And and so it may be that uh, the old thing of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Help people know the truth and why they can believe the truth and don't try to avoid these difficult issues. And also, in some things, not to be afraid to say, I don't really know that. But, um, you know, uh, confront them. And then maybe, uh, I mean, these things don't happen in a vacuum, obviously. And and yet I think in church life sometimes that's exactly what we have. Uh, in the case of Hillsong, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, hallelujah hootenanny and uh, very little doctrine that's going to be communicated. And so to me, that's just fertile soil for apostasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get tired of the big show and you want something authentic, if you've not found real authentic faith, then you'll turn to... Uh, real secularism. So that's kind of how I see it. It's the biggest danger for emotionalism, <clears throat> you know, really feeding the emotion, you know, trying to fill that high constantly, um, you know, with Hillsong and, and not just Hillsong, but a lot of churches where 
they 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 strive so hard to put on a good show and we've talked about that and i believe in doing things to the absolute best of your ability but you know when people are going to the church and and i've had multiple people tell me you know i'd come to your church if if the music was better you know why because they're they're trying to stir that emotion you know and so i think if your your faith is rooted in this emotion emotionalism it wouldn't be hard to lose it because you can't keep that emotionalism. That's why kids go off to youth camp and kids camp and get saved every year and become missionaries every year, you know, cause the moment they come back and I was one of those kids. So I, I know, but until, you know, you get rid of that emotionalism and that you have a real genuine day in day out, good, bad faith with Christ, you know, I think that um, this is going to happen. So. Yeah. But, but let me ask that you guys uh, that are of a more reformed Calvinistic background that what you said, Adam, is true, but that would not be true in the case of Josh Harris. I mean, here you're talking about a guy obviously Calvinistic and uh, having those kinds of homeschool, I guess, background, all that sort of thing. So, so you can't just talk about him not having sound doctrine communicated to him. So how how do you explain that? You you guys jump in and help well, me understand. Well, I, I think the important thing to realize is that sound doctrine is not the end all. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can have somebody. Obviously, like you pointed out, we have two extremes here. We have Hillsong, which you know is a more superficial, not very deep, you know, theologically type of preaching, which explains why this guy's asking questions about how can God be love and yet send people to hell. Right. I mean. For for most Christians, like that should be a basic premise that you understand that the justice of God is what demands that, and that God can be yet fully loving and fully just and still do that. But on the other end, you have Josh Harris, who had a good education. I mean, was around guys who were very all that all of us, regardless of our soteriology, would consider very solid biblical guys and preachers. And I think that, like I said, it proves that just having a robust knowledge of theology does not mean that you've let that theology sink into your heart mm-hmm. and and make an actual true change. Um, and I think there can be a danger where on the more pragmatic side, it's based in emotionalism and you build your faith based on that emotional feeling. In the more you know reformed side, there can be the danger just as well that you build your faith on a theological knowledge and not in a true relationship with Jesus Christ. I got to kick. Uh, it's great you said that because we, I went to a um, apologetics conference at UNCA. This has been several years ago. And um, I'm not going to name the name of the guy. Uh, extremely popular. Uh, he's a very esteemed New Testament uh, guru when it comes to apologetics. Does this incredible, you know, apologetics, you know, lesson on the New Testament? Why we should, you know, the the validity of the New Testament, and and on and on and on. Went through this hour spill. They didn't need a Q and A. People asked, you know, deep questions about that. One guy stood up. And he said, uh, man, just tell me how Jesus has changed your life. And that was the toughest question that was asked that entire night. Like he legitimately struggled to tell why Jesus has changed his life. I mean, he stumbled all over it. Now, I mean, there is there is some that I could chalk it up to. It's an academic sort of setting. So there's a part of it. But to me, it'd be easy to just, you know, he's changed my life in so many different ways, you know? So I think you can get called up so much in academia and, uh, you know, well, I heard, I heard Steve Lawson, he was being interviewed by Todd Friel and you can go online and, and watch this. And, um, he was talking about RC Sproul when he was teaching at RTS that, you know, he would ask his students to define the gospel. And what he would find was that a lot of the students couldn't even give a clear articulation of the gospel. And it's like, 
you can have all the theology, you can memorize every systematic theology book out there, but if you can't give a clear articulation of what the gospel is, then right. you probably don't know the gospel. Right. You know. Spurgeon said, I may know all the doctrines of the Bible, but unless I know Christ, there's not one of them that can save me. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's a great word for us. And kind of what you're describing between these two, how I see these two polar opposites, but, but really it's, it's much the same fa- foundation of sand is, is Pharisees and Sadducees. Mm-hmm. you got Pharisees, orthodox, know the truth, doctrine correct, but empty hearts. You've got uh, Sadducees, liberal, you know, let's get along with everybody sort of, sort of thing uh, and keep our power. Uh, that's almost, you know, neither one of those groups uh, obviously were converted to Christ. And so uh, you still got that crowd around today. So let me push back. How do you think that a a correct or an incorrect understanding of the doctrine of um, the perseverance of the saints or once saved, always saved plays into this? Um, because I think you have a lot of people, and I, I think all of us sitting at the table would believe that, that if you're saved, you're genuinely saved. You're not going to become unsaved. There's nothing you can do. God's not going to cast you out. You, you are genuinely saved. You, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. But I think that there's a view in a lot of people's minds that they have an incorrect understanding of that. And because they have an incorrect view of the gospel and they have made a profession of faith, um, maybe in a in a moment of emotion uh, or maybe for, you know, because somebody promised them, if you'll put your faith and trust in Christ and, and pray this prayer, God will save your marriage or bring your wayward kids back home. You know, so they've prayed a prayer and then somebody has told them, well, if, as long as you pray a prayer, that means you're a Christian. And so then they neglect that area of, of, of true saving faith and studying the gospel. Because you think about this, I mean, Josh Harris was living in this environment. This wasn't just like a, you know, he made a profession of faith and then a year later walked away. I mean, this was a multi, you know, 10, 20 year cycle for him, you know? So it's not that all of a sudden he just woke up just a few moments after he made a profession and realized that he, that he says he's not a Christian. But how do you think that understanding of, of what salvation means and people looking at it from the, basically what I'm saying is I think we need to be more robust in in how we train people. You know, Paul says, make your calling and election sure. Now, that doesn't mean that you should wake up every day and doubt your salvation. But I think it means that you look, it's like, what am I hoping in and what am I trusting in? Am I trusting in my relationship with Jesus Christ as I know it to be? Or am I solely trusting in the fact that I prayed a prayer at youth camp 35 years ago? You know, because when I grew up, I'm, I walked down the aisle in front of the church when I was seven years old, and I prayed a prayer with the pastor that was there. But I walked to the front because I knew that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah. You know, and that pastor never talked to me about sin and repentance. I mean, there was never that context of that. It was just repeat this prayer. And I believe he was genuine. I, I don't believe he was malicious in the intent of what he was doing. You know, I don't, I don't believe that at all. But as I was getting older and I was struggling with my faith because I was doing things and living a way that I knew was contrary to what the Bible said, you know, I talked to some people and they said, well, do you remember, do you remember praying a prayer? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, don't worry about it. That's just the mm-hmm. devil trying to tell you're not saved. Mm-hmm. And I think that that happens to a lot of people. And so there's this, sure. you know, if, so I, I think that's clear what I'm saying. If yeah. it's not, it's, it's confusing. No, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And, and I think it's, it is a failure to grasp the doctrine of the perseverance of, of the saints that it's not about, you know, uh, I quote, get saved and then I do what I jolly well please. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, It's about true repentance and regeneration that changes us from the inside out. And uh, when that happens, then it's it's all about grace, and it's the grace of God that keeps us saved. But that grace is operational to to put within us a desire to do the right thing, to be with the people of God, to grow in that grace and knowledge by getting into the Word and offering up our our prayer to God and and sharing our faith, publicly taking a stand, holiness, the pursuit of it, and, and, and so forth. And if people don't do that, regardless of their claim, their profession doesn't mean anything. But but I, I would also ask this question. Uh, do we know right now that Josh Harris is an apostate? No. I mean, that's 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 the thing that I think we have to be careful of, too, is like we don't want to just write him off. Right. You know, because obviously no man knows the heart but God, you know, and then that's where it comes in. You know, the scripture says, you know, those that endure to the end shall be saved. You know, I tell my people all the time, it's like the only proof that we have that someone is genuinely a Christian is that when they get to the end of their life, they're still professing faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate test, you know, is that they reach the end of their life and through it all, they die still confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Or if they happen to wander, they, they will come back after yeah. being disciplined and so right, forth. Right, the prodigal yeah. son was still the son, yeah. even when he was gone. So, I mean, my own personal testimony, I was like you, I went forward when I was seven, I believe, just because I thought I needed to. Mm-hmm. Johnny Taylor was the preacher, so he, I'm he glad I wasn't. The, yeah, exactly. One, yeah. He wouldn't have done it, but and I got baptized. So then, when I went to Castle when I was 17, got saved, no doubt about it, no doubt in my mind. But the thing is, from the time I was 18 till I was about 28, 29, I lived like hell, like mm-hmm. legitimately. Sure. So there's a part of me that I, but looking back at that, I see the hand of God throughout all those situations, and it's not as though. Um, protecting me because it could have been way worse than what I ended up, you know, but I, but I see how through it all that God just kept molding me and and shaping me and forming me into who I am today. And and, and the faith that I have is stronger than it's ever been. Um, And a lot of that had to do with, I went in the air force and left, left church and left the comfort. And, and so, um, you know, I absolutely, I think that sanctification process can take, a long time, you know, well, until you, you know, reach glory. But uh, I know in my own life, like I said, for about a nine, 10 year period, there was no way that you would have known I was a, a Christian, you know, uh, other than when I come home and come to church. Well, and I think um, what you were saying, Dennis, like we, we don't know where Josh Harris is spiritually, you know, and I, and I don't know what led up to this. You know, he, he's kind of alluded to some of the journey that he's had. But I think this also speaks to the danger, too, of, of where the Bible is very clear of, of, of how we should build our relationships and who we should associate the majority of our time with. Because I think you can have someone who's genuinely a Christian, and if they remove themselves from a strong, robust spiritual context, and they're only around people who are non-Christians, they can begin to be influenced by that to the point where they begin to question those yeah. things and, and feel like they're pushed in a direction. That was me. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, we, you know, we would pray that, that God, that, that he, this is, and that maybe this is a moment where he's been caught up in something else and that God will use the Holy Spirit to, to chastise him and rebuke him. If he is the Lord's, then the Lord will do that. I mean, the Lord corrects those whom he loves and we desire that he would bring it back. But Well, also to that, and we, we can talk about some of the pastors who have fallen, mm-hmm. you know, that they were put so high on a pedestal that they didn't have anybody to really hold them accountable mm-hmm. per se. 
you know, to say, nah, what you're doing this. So they, they were still isolated, even though they were surrounded by thousands, you know? So I so think that's also Paul David Tripp wrote a book called dangerous calling about that, mm-hmm. about how being a pastor. And that book is, if you look at it, is endorsed by Joshua Harris, Tully and Chavidian and James McDonald, who have all disqualified wow. themselves from ministry. Really? The, I, the irony, somebody sent me a picture of yesterday. The irony is just, it is a dangerous calling. Yeah. Yes. Wow. But but I would say this though it does appear at this point from everything we can see that Josh Harris has left the faith by his own statement and uh, and may never come back although we pray that he does but this is nothing new if you go back in the as soon as the church was birthed uh, you've got Paul saying Demas has forsaken me he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus who, that he's delivered over Satan. Uh, he speaks of those making shipwreck of their faith. So apostasy was there from the from the very outset. And you look at John, you know, they went out from us because they were not of us. How about yeah. Judas Iscariot? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if here's the only perfect pastor yeah, that exactly ever was, and that's Jesus. And in, in his flock, he had one that was a devil. And and so, but he didn't appear to be at the beginning, and, and yet it was at the end that he he proved uh, that he was not of the Lord. So so I think. Um, you know, we've got to always understand that this is not some new thing in our, quote, scientific age that people all of a sudden, because of all the contradictions in Scripture, it, it is a, an intensely spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, those forces, uh, if we succumb to them and pull us down, um, you know, we can we can walk away, you know, and, and we need to bear that in mind. Again, not, not living in a fearful way because we want to be people of faith. But but not to be presumptuous either, to think, well, that can't happen to me, you know, because then we let our guard down and, and, and who knows. And as far as presumption goes, uh, addressing, Chris, what you talked about, and I hate to hear this, um, you know, here, here you have a, an evangelistic service, you have 15 people pray a prayer, and, and perhaps genuinely. But then we say, well, we had 15 people saved today. You don't know that. I don't know that. <laughs> How many decisions did you have? All of them. Yes, 100%. Well, that's, right? Every single person yeah. made a decision. Well, you know, we, we do a lot of street ministry. And when I first started doing street ministry, you know, we'd come back from when I was in preaching in New York or on college campuses. And, and people would ask that question. It's like, well, how many people made a decision? And and I used to say, well, I don't know, you know, because we weren't out there to gather decisions. We're just out there to preach the gospel. But then I finally started saying everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you that's mean? I was like, well, everybody, they either made a decision to follow Jesus or reject the gospel. I mean, yeah. that's that's the decision that's yeah. being made. And I think what you were pointing to, to to get us back, you were talking about the examples that you see in the scripture of people walking away from the faith. And this is nothing new. And I think, you know, that's how we help our people cope with that, you know, is, is by a robust understanding of scripture that the things that we're facing in 21st century America spiritually are not new. There are things that have been happening since the church was established, since you know, since sin entered into the garden. Right. You know, so if you have a, a robust faith built upon that, it's like, okay, it's like I don't have to live in fear because I know my faith is not built on the cultural surroundings, but my faith is built upon the scripture and I can trust and, and rely upon that and, and kind of, and find hope in that. Amen. Something that we've not talked about, and you you kind of alluded to it about protecting ourselves, and we haven't discussed this with Josh Harris in particular but him and his wife are separated. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to thank, you know, that, that you'll also notice that when he's issuing his apologies, he became egalitarian, then pro LGBT, then 
broke his covenant marriage and then apostatized. And there's there's a consistent trend now of egalitarianism is the beginning of the slippery slope, which is a different conversation. But it's interesting how there's this pattern that we're seeing with people. Well, I mean, ultimately, it starts with the denial of the authority of Scripture, because that's what you have to deny first in order to open up the door for all those other things. And 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 while that certainly is possible, and, and belief and behavior are in, inextricably linked, but but it's almost sometimes I wonder if it's not the behavior that then dictates the belief. Oh, absolutely. And sure. and that I'm, I may be wrong. And this is going to sound judgmental, okay? So it's, this is not I'm not being dogmatic. I could be wrong, but I just have a real suspicion that when all of the layers of the onion are unpeeled. That Josh Harris is involved in some type of of immorality oh, that has influenced his theology, so he's <laughs> built a belief system that will not uh, let him feel guilty because he's doing things he has no business doing. Some things we know, like leaving his wife, we don't know why, but but I just have that suspicion because I've seen it in experience over and over again that people will will actually quote abandon their faith because they've embraced. Their sin, but that goes to that emotionalism, right? It makes me That's feel true. good. Therefore, it can't be bad if it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. It, it goes to that, you know, the old boy down the street wanting to sleep with his girlfriend. Well, I, I don't like what the Bible says about that. You know, why? Why? Because that means that uh, I've got to not do that, and but yet it feels good. And solo feels. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Well, we appreciate your comments and responses to this subject, and we, you know, we would encourage you know as we talked about these two individuals in particularly. You know, to be praying for them, pray for their families, pray for um, the congregations that have been associated with each of these with these gentlemen, because this will be an impact that will have um, lasting and and deep uh, reach into their communities and their uh, and their uh, churches. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.